Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall. It was an interesting week for the Rangers this week. Not the results I think they they hoped for, but there are a lot of positives that came from the three games they played. Out of the three games, they only managed to get one point. They should have had possibly four, if not more. But let's dive in and take a look. So Tuesday night, they played the New Jersey Devils at MSG. They ended up losing 4-3 to three to the Devils. They got 50 shots on goal, 47 saves by Mackenzie Blackwood in the game. The Rangers, after falling behind early, really controlled the the play of the game from the second, midway through the second period on, especially the third period where they put a ton of pressure on the Devils. They just could not break through to tie the game to force OT. Uh, a very good game from Panarin. Uh, he, probably one of his, you know, other than the last Islander game, you know, those were his two best games of the year so far. You know, goaltending. You know, unfortunately, Gorgiev did not look that great, uh, giving up four goals in his two periods of play. He gets pulled. Igor comes in, uh, stops all eight shots in the third period to keep the Rangers in the game. Uh, they just couldn't break through. Like I said, they get the game tied. All in all, the best thing that I think that came from this game was to play the Heedle line. I think they carried the momentum of a very solid third period that that line played into the weekend. Uh, Friday night, you know, we saw that line really break out. Uh, Phil DiGiuseppe on Friday night was the best Rangers player. Uh, he had five shots on goal, had two assists, you know, constantly making plays. Uh, he set up goals by Heedle and Kako in the game. You know, the Rangers end up, you know, unfortunately losing four to three in a shootout. They came, uh, the Penguins came out and scored a goal in the first period, and then the Rangers scored three unanswered goals in the first, you know, six minutes of the second period to take a three to one lead. Uh, two goals coming from the Heedle line during that time period. Then two really unfortunate bounces for the Rangers. Uh, you know, Ryan Lindgren makes a block in front of the net. And goes to slide the puck back to Igor just to make a cover, and ends up sliding it too far to the right underneath Igor's leg, and you know, kind of for a you know a cheap goal for Pittsburgh. And then the third period, uh, you know, Pittsburgh takes a slap shot, takes a weird bounce off the boards, comes right to the stick uh, of Bulgar there on the side of the net, and he puts it in. Basically, you know, all he had to do was just move the stick forward, and it. It was a perfect, perfect rebound off the boards for him. Um, that tied the game, and then the Rangers couldn't get done in the shootout. Uh, the interesting thing about the overtime period is that Lafreniere did not have a shift in the OT period. Uh, I think that speaks to a lot uh, of how his play is going. Um, you know, it also speaks to the one player who was out there for the final shift of the game, and then had a shift in OT, Keandre Miller. Keandre Miller is having a great, great rookie season right now. Uh, after looking a little shaky in the opener, he's really bounced back and looks at every shift. He looks more and more comfortable on the ice. Um, he was by far the Rangers' best player Sunday night. Um, you know, right now Keandre leads the team with a a positive four plus minus. Uh, he went toe to toe with Crosby this weekend and really held his own. I know he was out there Sunday night for the game winning goal, but. Um, you know, you can't blame him for that. You know, it deflected off his stick, it looked like, but he was just, you know, battling for the net. There's nothing, 
there was no malice part on his part. You know, it wasn't his fault. Um, but we'll get to that. But Friday night, they lose four three in a shootout. Panarin's the lone goal scorer for the Rangers in the shootout. Uh, two really nice moves to beat Igor uh, for the uh, Penguins to get the the win there. And then Sunday night, I mean, same thing as Friday. You come into a third period, up a goal. Um, you know, in a shortened season like this, you cannot leave two points out there, or even not even to get a point on Sunday night. Uh, the Rangers end up giving up a goal in the final minute 30. Again, like as I was saying, it was kind of a deflection off a couple guys in front, off Keandre Stick, and for whatever reason, Igor didn't see it or just misplayed it. It kind of hit his stick and just dribbled into the net. Um, a really tough loss. You know, the Rangers, the Rangers outplayed the Penguins both games, especially Sunday night, especially in the third period. You know, they give up an early. They come in the period two to one. They give up a goal within the first three minutes. Uh, again. Not the like a little floater, little goal again, a, a play that should not, a goal that should not be given up by Igor. Um, and then they come out, they they played great the rest of the third period. They just couldn't score, they could not finish. Um, you know, the top line kind of got reshuffled around. It the game ended with a line of Zabanajed, Panarin, and Lafreniere as a top line, which was interesting. Um, you know, they had plenty of chances, plenty of shots right over the net, a couple of posts. Brendan Smith had a post, uh, a couple of wide open opportunities that just missed. They just couldn't finish. Uh, Kreider had a chance in front, couldn't fi- you know, couldn't finish. It seems like he's kind of snake bitten so far this year. Kreider's only got one goal. Um, that's it, just one point in the year so far in the five games. You know, he's had double digit scoring chances right in front of the net that he hasn't been able to finish. Uh, you know, one guy on Sunday night who finally got the monkey off his back was Ryan Strom, finally getting a point, scoring a goal uh, on a good battle in front. Uh, a nice, probably the best shift of the game from the Strom line with Panarin and Buchnevich. Uh Buch, who's been very strong this year, you know, he played well Sunday night, but not as good as his prior games. Um, and Truba chipped in on that play and kept the play alive and kept the and kept the puck in the the crease. And um, Strom was able to chip it and pass the goalie to um, to take the two one or to put the Rangers up by t- uh, a goal um, going into the third. But um, just all in all, you look at the games, you look at the opportunities the Rangers had, and to have only one point, you know, in this kind of a shortened year, is not what you need. I know they're a young team, and it really shows it. They play a great fifty minute game, fifty five minute game. They just can't. They can't close. They can't close the game out, and you know. It, I know it is still a rebuild, but I think the pieces are there. The pieces are there. They just need to learn how to score that final goal. How to how to win the game. They need to know how to win the game. How to close it out. Uh, looking at some of the big players from this week, we touched on Phil DiGiuseppe. You know the the Hedo Kako line. Hedo, unfortunately. Had a very awkward um, collision um, at the blue line and came back for a shift and then missed the remainder of the game on Sunday. The Rangers have not given an update on his status for this week. Uh, they play Tuesday night in Buffalo. Um, so we'll see. I know this is, we're recording this Monday morning. Uh, there's been no news out yet uh, of his status. But that line is clicking. Uh, Phil DiGiuseppe has played great. He was... 
the Rangers' best forward by far on Friday night. He even saw a couple shifts in OT, uh, which really shows what Quinn thought of his game and his compete level on Friday. Kako looks so much more comfortable on the ice. He's got two goals already on the year. Um, you know, looking where he was last year, I mean, he just looks like a new player. Uh, I think he looks like the player the Rangers thought they were going to get. I think he was just burned out last year from all the games prior to the NHL season, you know, playing in the World Juniors, then World Cup, and the Finnish Men's League. You know, he played a lot of hockey before his rookie year, and he got that break. And we saw in the bubble, he played great in the bubble. Um, when he got that break, we got that time off, he was one of the best best Rangers offensive players in the bubble. So I think he's needed a rest, and he looks a lot stronger this year. Um, and, and, I mean, you know, I think for all the heat that Lafreniere is getting from having a slow start, I think you have to look at Kako. You know, Kako had a very slow start last year. He had a slow year last year. Uh, and then these guys settle in. And also Lafreniere, remember, they didn't have a preseason. You know, this is his first exposure to professional hockey. You know, Keandre Miller is, is making an adjustment a little bit faster. Um, but I am not worried about Lafreniere. I know a lot of Ranger fans are saying, oh, we thought this guy was going to have, you know, what, 10 goals in the first five games? You know, let him get settled in. He's now starting to play on the, the top line with Zibanejad and Kreider. I don't know if Quinn will keep that. But I think the the more talent you surround him with, I think the better player he is, you know, he will be. Um and I also think that once he gets his first, I, I think he goes on a streak. I think once that first one goes in, uh, he gets that confidence back, and I think he, he gets it rolling a little bit. But it'll be interesting to see if the Rangers make any more changes to the lineup after this weekend. You know, The one change that was questionable for Ranger fans on Sunday night was uh, Colin Blackwell making his Rangers debut for Britton Lemieux. Lemieux, who I thought had probably the best game or one of the better games of any Rangers on Tuesday night, you know, he had that heroic double block shot on Subban uh, at the blue line where he got basically his right leg taken off by two slap shots. Um, I thought he played extremely well in Devils game. He, um, you know, he's constantly in the corners battling. He had a very good scoring opportunity and drew a penalty uh, in the third period of that game as well. And he gets scratched for Blackwell. So, you know, that was kind of head scratching. Um, and then Blackwell goes out there and scores the Rangers' first goal last night. And I thought. He was one of the better Rangers forwards. I thought he played very well. I can see him back in the lineup. Um, the other, you know, the other big development is the Rangers finally scratched Jack Johnson. I know Ranger fans have been yelling, and you know, you go on Rangers Twitter, and every single person is ready to, you know, fight Jack Johnson themselves. Uh, Brendan Smith looked very good in his two games early in the season, and he finally got an opportunity against Sunday night. And the Rangers' defense just looks so much better with him in the lineup over Johnson. You know, Johnson was minus four through four games. Just looks lethargic out there, slow. You know, his passing is just just not there. I, something's just not there. And I understand going into the series, you know, this is a team that released him or bought him out over the you know this last off season. You know, get him in there Friday night. You know, redemption toward twenty twenty one. Yeah, it did not go over too well. Minus quick minus two on the game. You know, Crosby was skating circles around him. Uh he just he just looks so lost. So I'm happy the coaching staff finally made that move. Didn't stick with him for Sunday night. And I think the Rangers defense was not the issue. Uh, you know, the last goal was not was a def- couple of, you know, traffic in front and got through Igor. The second goal was a little flutter. 
that just went over Igor's shoulder for whatever reason. Uh, you know, you can say, oh, the breakaway by Rust, you know, was maybe a bad play, but, you know, that was just a broken pass that came out to the neutral zone and Rust came in. You know, first off, Rust had about 150 shots in the series. Uh, that, that's a guy who's not afraid to shoot, and I'm sure Ranger fans will love that, that team. Uh, he hit about five posts, and he scored a goal on Friday night and on Sunday. Um, but, you know, I, you can't say it's the Rangers' defense fault. You know, the Rangers' best player in the year so far is Adam Fox. Fox is a beast. He's got five points in five games. The power play looks great with him quarterbacking the first power play. You know, the only thing about that, they need to shoot the puck more. They look for the perfect pass. This was a problem for the Rangers at points last year. And it's always a problem for the Rangers, I feel like. They always are too cute. You know, you look at the teams that have the great power plays, like the Capitals. Ovechkin is not making the perfect pass. Ovechkin is taking the shot. When you have a player like Zibanejad, Panarin, who have these great shots, they need to take them. They need to shoot. Panarin passed up his shot two or three times last night. He needs to shoot the puck more. Zibanejad's got one of the best one-timers in hockey. He needs to shoot the puck more. He had, I think, five or six shots Friday night, and all of a sudden he only has one or two shots last night. And he he passed up a good opportunity for a back pass to Truba. You know, I would rather have Zibanejad crashing the net and shooting than Truba shooting from the blue line with no traffic in front. So I think there's some adjustments the Rangers need to make going into this week. You know, you need to come out of Buffalo with at least two points. You can't come out of Buffalo. You can't get swept out of Buffalo. You're now 1-3-1 and one. in a shortened year. You need wins. You need two points. Looking ahead at the Rangers' schedule, you know, I mean, you know who the schedule is. It's the division. It's not an easy division. It's probably the toughest division in all hockey right now. So when you play these bottom-tier teams like Buffalo, you need to come out with points. If it's, if it's a split and you come out with two points, okay. If you can somehow get three or four out of it, then you get some momentum come back. Because when you come back, guess what? Sidney Crosby's waiting for you. He's back. They're back at the Garden against the Penguins next Saturday. So it doesn't get easier. And after that, you have Ovechkin. So you need these two points. You need at least you need at least three points up in Buffalo this weekend or this week to feel confident about yourself coming back home. And then you have two games at home, and then you go to New Jersey, and you have another home stand against the Islanders and the Bruins coming down. So like I said, against these teams, when you have a team on the ropes like Pittsburgh, and you have a lead going into the third period, you have to finish. You have to win those games. It's going to be a really, really tough task for the Rangers this year if they continue to lose games in the third period and just give games away. In this shortened season, you can't do it. But we'll see Tuesday night. We'll see if uh, Quinn makes any changes. And uh, hopefully Heedle is not out long-term because he's really turned the corner. And with Ryan Strom struggling, uh, you know, Heedle's really been there. I mean, Zabanajad has not the greatest year. I don't know if COVID, you know, he's recovering from COVID. That's playing a part of it. But you know, Heedle's really been their top center coming into, you know, after this weekend. So hopefully Heedle's not out for a long time, especially with that line finally clicking, or really clicking now. Um, him and you know, DJ Zeppi has played really well on his wing, kind of letting you know, kind of playing that Jesper Fast role where he could maybe move up and down the lineup, but really settle into a third line role. Uh, I think that's something that the Rangers, you know, really need, and it's a welcome sign to see DJ Zeppi playing so well. 
And this week we're joined by former New York Ranger and the newest member of the Washington Capitals organization, Rob O'Gara. Rob is currently assigned to the Hershey Bears, so we talked to him about the upcoming AHL season and what that might look like in a COVID world. We also talked to him about winning the national championship while he was at Yale, his time with the Boston Bruins and being mentored by Zidane O'Chara, and then also some funny stories from his time in New York. Let's send it to an interview with Rob. Today we welcome on former New York Ranger and the newest member of the Hershey Bears and Washington Capitals organization, Rob O'Gara. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So congrats on the new deal, uh, Fresh Ink with Hershey. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, at this point, uh, with all the madness going on, honestly, just happy to uh, have signed a contract, be able to play, be able to uh, hopefully prolong the uh, career a little bit. And what's the outlook looking right now for the AHL? Do you, has your agent told you or has anyone given you any insight on what the year is going to look like possibly? So I really, I've, I've just heard rumors. Um, so I, I think February, February 5th is still the target date to start. Um, I know camps are starting, I believe on the 25th on Monday. It seems like most teams haven't had any issues getting guys in town. Um, I've heard like, for example, that we might just play, um, Wilkes, uh, Lehigh and, uh, Binghamton who's playing in New York. I, I believe it's the devil's, uh, practice. And we might just play all three of those teams 12 times. And that's that. <laughs> um, so <laughs> definitely a little strange. I mean, at the NHL level too, it's, it's all the, uh, interdivisional play. Um, but that's kind of the vibe I get. I know they haven't announced the schedule, but I think it's got to be coming up soon. I don't know if as everyone has seen, it's just been up in the air and tough to kind of get things moving, but it seems like things are moving in the right direction. So keeping my fingers crossed. Is this a year for someone like yourself who has NHL experience and, and now you're playing the AHL? That I, I guess you know we were we were just talking offline about the Capitals having some COVID issues. Is this a year that you're kind of like, hey, there's a really good chance I can get either the taxi squad or called up just because of COVID issue? Yeah, I, I mean it's it's strange because obviously some AHL teams opted out, um, and I know like East Coast teams opted out. Like there there are like less jobs uh, in general in hockey. Um, but the, the, the circumstances are that these NHL rosters are bigger and the rules are, are strict and guys will get sick. So um, there are opportunities, which is kind of like against what I just said, but it's, it's true. And um, I mean, for a guy like me, I, I've had some injury issues over the last couple of years. And um, honestly, with, with this long break here, just trying to, uh, a little, little looking inward and, and seeing what, you know, if I could keep playing, if I wanted to keep playing, and, um, kind of getting to the point where I was like, oh, all I want to do is keep playing. <laughs> That's all I could think about. And um, luckily, uh, I was able to focus on that. And um, uh, it, it seems like, um, like you said, with all this stuff going on, um, hopefully my experience and being healthy, feeling and having worked real hard over the last, you know, God, it's been a year. 
um, uh, it's uh, hopefully it works in my favor. So, uh, I'm just I'm just to I haven't seen the same like eight guys for the last six months. Uh, I'm ready to. Yeah, so the CHL season ended last year because of COVID back in, I guess, early or mid-March last year, and you've been off since then. So what kind of off-season did you have? Uh, was it tough to find ice? And obviously, you know, like you said, it was a 12-month layoff. What do you expect from your first couple practices here? Yeah, uh, I so – oh, boy. So back in January, so a year ago now, um, actually probably almost to the day, um, I separated my shoulder pretty bad in a game against Bridgeport. Um, I missed about six weeks and the day that I got cleared, uh, was the day the season got canceled. Um, so that was, uh, a little demoralizing on top of, you know, everything being demoralizing, but, um, I, uh, I kind of went into the off season, at least healthy. Um, and the first, oh boy, I don't, I didn't go uh, so I work in po- work out in Foxborough at a place called EPS. Um, uh, Brian McDonough, he runs it, and it's an awesome program. And usually it's like 30 guys uh, all getting after in the gym and then going to skate together. And obviously it was much different this summer, but um, I still call it the summer. It's January, but um, uh, it, it, I didn't get in there until July. So from March to July, it was kind of doing my own thing and doing as much as I could at home. Um, and then finally getting back in the gym. And, um, uh, that was very nice. And sort of having, uh, I mean, it's seven months, but, um, from July till now, a relatively normal experience there and being able to skate with a good group of pro guys and, and some college guys. And so uh, I, I'm looking forward to the first practices, like I said, just for some variety in the, in the people I'll be seeing. Um, I think that'll be fun in the competition level. As much as you try to mimic it in the summers, you never really get that same edge that you get once the season gets gone. So going back, so you're a Long Island guy, uh, so am I. And you played for the Junior Islanders in the Pee-wee International. So what was that experience like going to play that huge, uh, you know, youth tournament? Oh man, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a fun week. Um, but, uh, I, so our team, and I, I don't know why, but we carried seven forwards and nine defensemen. And I, I do not know why. Um, I, I didn't play much. I, I, I've always been, I guess, uh, considered a late bloomer. Um, but I was a chubby little kid and I was good on my team. I played for a uh, Suffolk PAL until I was 12. Um, and a good player on a bad team. Um, and I, uh, I don't know, like playing there, being there, playing in the, um, in the big stadium and all the other experiences was a ton of fun. Um, but the hockey side kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, to be honest, as a competitor, I, uh, I never, I mean, even like my dad will bring it up. Like it's such a cool experience, but, and then he'll look like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I brought it up, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's uh, something cool to say I did, but I tried to shy away from uh, what actually happened there. <laughs> Were you an Islander fan or a Ranger fan growing up? I grew up an Isles fan. Yeah. My, uh, 
<laughs> my uh, my dad's dad um, was a security guard at the Coliseum uh, when they won their first Stanley Cup, and he kind of fell in love with the game then and passed it on to my dad and passed it on to me. And trust me, I so <laughs> a funny story. When I was born, I was born in July '93. The Islanders, I believe, went to the Eastern Conference Final that year. Um, yeah, yeah, they made a run that year. Yeah, so they were eliminated like a month before I was born and they won their first playoff series of my lifetime. Once like right after I signed with Boston out of school. So until I pledged my allegiance to another team, they, I did not watch my favorite team win a playoff series my entire life. So, uh, it wasn't the most rewarding experience being an Islander fan. Um, yeah, I feel terrible. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um so talking about yale you had a really good run uh in college with the uh, yale university bulldogs you guys won your freshman year you won the national championship um as a four seed and you guys beat i don't i think you guys are the only team ever to beat three number one seeds in the tournament going to win the championship uh so what was that run like oh man that was uh that was nuts it was um unexpected which, which probably made it even more sweet but it just seemed like everything fell into place uh, with hot goalie um jeff malcolm who still works in the rangers organization um he was on fire um we we played minnesota first they were the one seed i think like two overall um and like we played we played north Dakota second i um, and we had three, um, and obviously not a measurement of success, I guess, but, uh, it was just, uh, nuts. It was crazy. We, we were not, uh, it was like the whole thing was crazy. Like the, our second game when we played North Dakota, all the Minnesota fans stuck around to root against North Dakota that next day. Um, so that was kind of cool because we didn't have many people there watching. Um, and then we moved on and we played, uh, UMass Lowell. And then uh, Quinnipiac in the finals, and I played uh, QPAC 14 times in my four years at school, and we only beat them once. Um, and it just happened to be time to win. Yeah. Um, so, I, like, just sit back and, and think about it. It's just uh, it's crazy, you know, like no no scholarships. It just, uh, you know, the our leadership was, was great. Our goaltending was great. We had a good group of young D-men on that team. Um, it was awesome. It was just a wild experience that kind of, uh, set a high bar for the four years there, but it definitely helped us, um, have some success, um, as a class later in our, our tenure, um, with, with teams that weren't as good as that team our freshman year. And going the the frozen four, you hear great stories about the fans and the atmosphere of the Frozen Four. So, what what kind of energy is in that building for those games? Oh man, it, it was just it was very cool. And I, I was lucky enough to have my my parents, my grandpa, I had cousins there, um, it, and that was very special for me. But the student section was going, and um, the whole place is packed. And um, oh, it, it's something like, you know. You watch it as a kid. You watch the Frozen Four, and that was probably growing up. Uh, aside from going to a game here and there when we were at like a tournament or something, 
that was when I would watch college hockey. Um, that was my exposure to it uh, on Long Island. Now, thankfully, Long Island University, that, that's awesome that they got a team going now. But before that, what, like Stony Brook's club team was like the pinnacle of college hockey on Long Island. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no really like minor league or college at all. You're basically Islanders or Rangers, and then that's pretty much the exposure for a kid on Long Island to hockey. Exactly, exactly. So um, it was – so being in the Frozen Four, I was like, wow, like this is – you know, this is familiar. This is what – you know, I was looking at as a kid because I, you know, I, I ever watched a, an Ivy League, you know, Harvard Yale game. Um, it, that wasn't like on my radar, um, but being a part of it and um, I don't know, it's just it still like gives me chills like talking about it because it was just such a uh, a cool and and I think unexpected is the is the bit is like the biggest most descriptive word I can use because it was just like, you know, it wasn't treating it like we were happy to be there, but everyone else was like, Oh, like, uh, yeah, that's, that's cute. They made it. And, uh, but we were able to prove a lot of people wrong. And it's just a special uh, experience to have. So prior, prior to getting to Yale, you were drafted by the Bruins, um, 151st overall in the 2011 draft. And then you had this great career at Yale where, you end up winning the ECAC top defenseman award. You're a first team All American. You're first team All Ivy you know, every year. Was there any thought because you were drafted, I guess, lower in the draft, but you know you improved so much from when you were drafted of possibly not signing entry with Boston? Because you see that a lot with these guys now, that especially U.S. born players that are drafted in, you know, in high school or at a prep school, and they go on and have these great college careers that they just don't sign their entry with their original draft team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely on the table. Um, and I know Boston area of that when I didn't sign after my junior year, probably the best of my four. Um, but during the time, so I like, I didn't have any looks, nothing until I got to Milton in high school and, Sorry, I got drafted between my um, my junior and senior year at Milton, um, and from then on, Boston, um, especially Don Sweeney, who who was the assistant GM at the time, um, really kind of put a lot of um, investment in me and helping me progress. And I, maybe if it was a year or two later when I was finishing school, I, like because the defensive situation in Boston changed a lot, especially with young prospects probably between my first two years pro. Um, but at that time I, they were very loyal to me and, um, had treated me real well. And the situation was good. Uh, I mean, I, I, I made the, fir- uh, the team out of my first camp. Um, uh, uh, so it was, it was definitely something we thought about and definitely something I understand more now kind of playing and, understanding like guys stock goes up guys you know uh, the situation changes in a place especially when you're drafted and four or five years later you're finally playing for a team um so it's all it's all very interesting that you got to uh, guys do have the power to that uh, i guess kind of a loophole but um yeah no never uh never really I considered it for myself. 
based on Boston situation and um, how they had treated me all those years uh, since I was drafted. So when, you know, you go over to, to Boston as, I guess, an amateur um, PTO with them or ATO with them because you just signed your entry level and you played five games in Providence right out of college. What was the biggest adjustment from you for your game-wise going from college to the AHL? I'd say every level, the speed just goes up a notch. Um, obviously, the pro level, like, oh, college, they're men, they're strong guys, and even the difference between freshmen and senior, like the difference between a freshman and a senior, I don't think is as big as the difference of me signing there out of college. And, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, like like Wilkes-Barre had uh, Tom Kostopoulos uh, my first year. And this, he's not a big guy, but he he played like 15 plus years in the Penguins organization. I'm sure others too, but that's where he was at the time. And this guy was just strong and just, just thought the game well. And, and the AHL can be chaotic at times. Um, and like the, that was the difference. Like the way these guys thought, and kind of were able to handle the, the jump in speed. That was like, okay, I need to make plays quicker. I need to make plays harder. Um, and it's similar to the adjustment between uh, Milton and Yale and, and um, you know, every level as you go up. I'd say that was the biggest thing for me to really wrap my head around. Um, and uh, that helps. The, the, that little experience there and, uh, in Providence really did help kind of entering that summer and then entering my uh my first full year pro yeah so your first full year pro uh, you know your first NHL camp um and you come in and, and you make the team right out of camp so I guess what um you know what did you do during that camp that impressed so much that you made the team right out of uh right out of training camp <sighs> so uh, I will attribute it to a couple injuries um which <laughs> which are, are why I got uh sent down after five games there um but i i I don't know i I was playing loose and and again i think that experience with providence and kind of not being shocked by the level of pro hockey um helped a ton um and put me in a place where i can go into camp confident and you know it was very much a you know nothing to lose attitude like you know i'm i'm here I'll put my best foot forward. I, you know, I don't expect the world right now, but I know I, I belong. And um, I was fortunate enough to uh, do well and, and put my best foot forward, like I said, and and, and it translated into a few games of my, my uh, NHL debut and, um, and kind of uh, checking that box. And then, um, honestly, the year that followed in Providence was probably – 10 times more important than that stuff because I, I really learned so much that first year down there um, in terms of how I needed to play at that level to kind of grow my game and, and reach the next level. So um, it was, uh, it was all good. It was all a very good experience and uh, something uh, pretty cool that I can say uh, I was able to do. And that first camp, did you ever have like an, Oh wow moment or you know, kind of like a, like I talk to guys that say like, you know, it kind of like the first, I guess like full, full team scrimmage, it kind of had like a moment on the bench, like, wow, this is, this is a lot faster than I'm used to. Yeah. There we were doing a three on two low. So it was like Dotson and 
And I remember who my partner was, but I remember chasing around Marshawn, Bergeron, and, and Pasta for like 35 seconds and not making contact with them or the puck once. Um, <laughs> it, like that was, I, I remember ending that rep and kind of skating past the group that was just standing there and just looking like off basically to nothingness down the rank and be like, holy crap, like that, <laughs> that was, uh, that's it. That's the real deal right there. Uh, so yeah, that was a, a welcome to moment. Um, and then like you're, you're skating with guys like Chara, who's, I'm a pretty tall guy, but he is, he's an absolute monster. Um, and you know, uh, we have the same agent, so I'm sure my agent kind of said, Hey, like, see what you can do to help this kid out. And, you know, uh, battling with me, stuff like that, like, and giving me pointers after he beats the hell out of me, <laughs> stuff like that was a, was very cool. So what's Chara like off the ice in the locker room? Chara? Um, yeah. On, on the nicest guy. Um, I did that for 90% of the NHL, but um, he, the, those games, any game that I played up there, I think it was 11 total with Boston. And before every one of those games, he would take me and uh, Carlo, who was at the same time as I was, um, he'd take us up to the board where the other teams line up well go over every guy, what their tendencies were, what he does against we're in Anaheim and he came in with the big bag, garbage bag, and you get big ones and you bag like I was like, Oh, thank you <laughs> uh reached in and uh, I still have the pair of sunglasses to this day. Probably the nicest I've ever owned. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, he's a, uh, I mean, he's larger than life, but he's so soft spoken. And, um, what makes him a great leader is he, he knows when to, uh, when he needs to, to get loud or, or, you know, kind of assert himself. And I was lucky enough to sort of uh, experience that and see how he handled himself, um, in that setting firsthand. Um, so that was very, uh, very cool. You talked about those three forwards. You know, the, the Bruins were so stacked uh, while you were there. I guess it is pra- just practicing with a team, how much better do you get practice against such great players? Oh, man, it really – I mean, it, a lot of people will sit, tell you, you know, you can't, you can't flip the switch. Like some guys can flip the switch and, and you know, they can kind of co- – practice and get to a game and just you know they're on um but these guys i i don't i don't know (laughs) if they're on or off like that's how good they are and how fast they play and and the the chemistry like like they know where they're going to be you know they 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 know where to put the puck they know where the you know uh, it's just like uh i don't know that connection and the skill level it's just it's so impressive what these guys can do. Um, and obviously that's why, um, that's one of the, uh, the premier lines in the league, right? Uh, I know they're, uh, Boston's dying to get pasta back right now, um, to get that crew back together. Um, but yeah, no, uh, seeing it firsthand, it's just, it's really special. Their skill sets are, are off the charts. You played in front of a couple of the goalies. We'll get to the guy you played in front of in New York in a little bit, but. 
Uh, Rask, what um, I guess what is, you know, he's a great goalie in general, but what does he do for the defense that's that helps out? Oh boy, I, I don't know his his puck control. I guess it more is rebound control. It was what impressed me the most. Like he just swallowed everything up, um, and you know, I, I he was the first like coming into that camp, uh, like. I don't know. I've always been very proud of how I handle myself with my goal, you know, protecting the goalie, that kind of stuff. And, you know, the goalies throughout my career to that point, you know, like uh, Alex Lyon, to be honest, like at, at Yale, was probably the highest profile goal I ever played in front of. And then getting in front of Tuka Rask, it's like, holy crap, like I, I need to, I need to protect this guy. I can't let any pucks get to this guy. Uh, just, um, and not, not walking on eggshells, but just like, I don't want him to be pissed at me. I guess that's the biggest thing. Um, but uh, he's very he's very laid back in that he's not going to get worked up. Um, he's always kind of level headed. Uh, at least that was the experience I had with him. And um, and <laughs> and then I say that and I think of the video throwing everything on the ice from the bench. <laughs> um, but uh, no, like he, he just. And and off the ice, like a a good guy, like willing to, you know, if you needed help or you needed to walk through something, he he was there and he was vocal and, um, but uh, went about his business and did his thing. Um, it was cool. It was nice to kind of I, I don't know, like goalies in my mind, like you know, don't bother them, stay out of their way, you know, you know, let them do their thing. Um, but seeing that he was, you know, he wasn't really like that. He wasn't standoffish at all. It was, uh, was comforting. Um, when, uh, you know, I, I go dash two and try to slink out of the locker room without him seeing me. So your second full year with the Bruins, you went back and forth between Providence and, uh, and the Bruins while you were down on Providence, there was a goalie named Jordan Binnington <laughs> that was on loan from the blues. Uh, which is crazy that the Blues just didn't have an AHL, a AHL team in general that year. So Boston got him. What? Because he, you know, coming to that point, he didn't really have a great opportunity in the NHL. He played a handful of games here and there. And then the next season after that, all of a sudden, he goes on a run to the Stanley Cup and, you know, becomes this probably a top-tier goaltender in the NHL. So what did you see in practice or see anything in practice like, wow, this kid is going to be something special? Well, that that was the what surprised me the most was that he was with us because this, so he was the fifth fifth goalie in the Blues organization. He, they tried to send him down from San Antonio to whatever their coast team is, and he basically walked in and said, I'm not going. And then they loaned him to us. And he team basically playing the Saturdays of all of our three and threes. So he basically played a third of our games and he just did not lose. Um, and I said that stuff about Rask, and obviously I had much less of an experience with, with Tuca, but um, when when Bennington, like, he was the same guy all the time. Like, he was, he's so, like, he, he doesn't speak much. He's a pretty quiet guy around the rink. He's very funny, but, like, otherwise quiet. <laughs> um but just so dialed in, like when it was his turn to go uh, in practice, like he was just in the zone, like like nothing could phase him. And I mean, I from like the first two three weekends of that season, 
uh, like we would uh, around with like the guys I was living with. And I just feel like, well, why is he here? Like, this doesn't make sense. Um, it, it, are the blues stacked with goalie town? Like they really, they weren't. Um, but it, it just wasn't clicking. And it's rare that when it does click, it's with that organization who basically told him to, you know, kick rocks, like, get at like we don't need you. Um, and, um, but man, like, uh, it's just, I talked to a lot of guys from that team because, I mean, uh, AHL teams basically scatter. Uh, it's pretty, um, pretty common. Um, but I talked to guys from that team and it's just like a, a source of pride. Like, man, like we saw in Binner before anyone else did. Um, but man, he's special. And, um, I was lucky enough. To, I was at, um, St. Louis Blues camp before last season. Um, and kind of uh, was able to hang out with him for a little bit and uh, see how he was doing and, and just seeing him having the success that he, he has, like he works real hard, like he really dials it in. And um, it's just uh, a good guy that really came from the bottom of an organization to get to the top. Like it's, it's just a cool story. Yeah. I've heard him talk a couple of times about the situation and, it just seemed like he kind of just rolled with it, that he wasn't really too discouraged about it. And, you know, if it wasn't for the Bruins actually giving him a chance to play, you know, I one, the Blues don't win the Stanley Cup yeah. two years ago. And he's probably out yeah. of hockey. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just crazy to think about, right? Because um, he, he... I'm always I'm very surprised the Bruins didn't make a play to try to acquire him. Like that too, I guess. I don't know, because at that point, it was it was Zane McIntyre who was playing all the other games. And my first year, Zane started out of the year like 16-0, and 0, something crazy like that. Uh, and so like, he was seen as a prospect. They had uh, Jordan, uh, no, Jordan, uh, yeah, yeah, Malcolm Tuban at the time. Um, so they had these guys, and I guess they just said, hey, like, you know, we appreciate you being here, but <laughs> uh, I don't know, because even then, like, it wasn't like the Blues were desperate to get him back, right? I don't know. It baffles me. And like I said, Blues are lucky that they are able to keep him around um, to see this potential. It's crazy. I mean, the next year, he didn't even make the team out of camp again, and he spends – you know, until December down in the AHL for them. And then they call him up and then I think it goes like 30 and 10. The rest. Well, of that's, the that's the craziest thing. They were trying to call up uh Huso, but he had, he had a sprained ankle. So he had to take Bennington up instead. It, it, like it, crazy, crazy. Uh, just a wild, wild story. It's one of the crazy NHL mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another young defenseman that was playing there while you were there with Charlie McAvoy, um, you know, he's, he's kind of turned himself into a, I would say a top 15 defense right now in the NHL, especially being a young, one of the better young American hockey players in the league right now. So what, uh, I guess, what did you see in Charlie when he was, you know, that, you know, young coming up and, and I feel like his game just gets better and better. Yeah, I was, uh, Charlie's first, um, pro game was in Springfield. He played for Providence in Springfield. I think he had a goal and assist that game. Um, but uh, I knew 
I, I got to know Charlie in his first development camp. Um, and he's just a good dude. Um, he has got a good head on his shoulders and he works hard. And I mean, he just had, has this like the, the, the skating, uh, the, the IQ and throw his weight around. He, like, he's a very complete defenseman. Right shot helps too. Like those are <laughs> left shot. I feel like right shot demon are a little more hard to come by. Um, especially at that elite level. Um, and I mean, he showed it from his first game, uh, professional, and they called him up the next day. <laughs> We're not gonna waste his time with us. So, um, I mean, you could just see it. You could you could see that he, I mean, and he showed like you said, every year he gets better. Um, he, and he needs to for that team. Like he's their guy, um, especially with the guys that they lost, and um, that's it. Yeah, the crew. Yeah, 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 that's a heavy load to to carry but um oh i i think they they have a they have a lot of young their their decor is very young right now um and he's kind of you know he's been thrust into a position of of leadership and responsibility and i i think he's the, the kid's handling it well and he's still so young um he's gonna be real good for a long time are you surprised the bruins didn't hold on to krug uh, uh, I don't know. It was tough to fit him in. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta think it comes down to money. Um, but yes, I would say I'm surprised. Um, because of what their decor looks like now. Um, I, I'm looking at because Kevin Miller got back. He's like the guy. He's uh, not the guy, but he's the experienced guy. He's the one who's who's been through it. Yeah. Um, and the guy hasn't played in two years, which is the craziest thing. Uh, he worked his tail off to get back. It's really that's another incredible story. But um, you look at their decor, and, and they're really committing to going young. And it's hard, just like the the Rangers when they kind of went to their quote unquote rebuild. Um, these organizations can't afford, like the the fan base doesn't accept losing. Like if you're going to rebuild, you better at least win while you're you know rebuilding, um, and and that's a tall order. Um, and um, at least on the decor for Boston, they're kind of doing that right now, and it's interesting, and it'll be interesting to see how it works. Um, they're basically looking to outscore everyone. Yeah, and they haven't scored a five on five goal yet, which is just it's mind blowing. Yeah. So um it's just it's interesting, especially like I don't know, in my from my perspective, like playing with a lot of these guys and kinda having my own opinion on a lot of the guys. It's um it's very interesting. So it's cool to follow along. So your second year you get traded to the Rangers um in February. Was that a surprise to you? Uh no, uh, maybe the, the place, like, I didn't know where I'd end up. Um, but I knew that a trade was possible. Um, we kind of gone back and forth. Um, uh, and by we, I mean, my, my agent and I, um, with Boston's management and, um, it, we felt like it was kind of time. It, it, if they could find a place where I could play the rest of the year in the NHL, that it would help me most in, in my career. Um, 
and it, it has so happened that the Rangers were kind of in that mode of trying to move guys. And even when I say that, that, that feels like a, an understatement because they moved everyone. <laughs> um, but uh, that kind of, that, that, that fit. And that was the spot where I can go and, and get that experience. And, um, and it was hard. Like I remember um, the day that I got traded, I was held off the ice for practice and I kind of knew what was going on. And then my agent called, said it was the Rangers. Um, and I was like, holy cow, like I got to delete some old tweets. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know, like it just kind of, I don't know. It was very, it was, it was expected, but at the same time, um, it still was like great. Like my, like Don Sweeney called my dad. Uh, and I mentioned before, like I had a really good relationship with these guys and, uh, and, and so did like, so did my dad <laughs> and he called my dad and, and you know, it was time for him to do it. And he, uh, I, I, Boston, Providence and, um, but, and it was kind of, it was definitely a good time for them to try to add a piece and make a run and, and to give a guy like myself, uh, a chance somewhere else, um, because they, they have 8 million prospects and demons <laughs> that were, uh, building in the pipeline at the time. Um, uh, so yeah, and the, uh, the trade happened. So it was, uh, yeah, not too um surprising but the the um destination was definitely uh i tried not to speculate uh, so i wasn't thinking about it too much but when he called and said the rangers i was like holy shit that's crazy <laughs> you know you you play the rest of the year the rangers which uh, like you said is probably great for your development mm-hmm. um and right before right before they you know they start like you were saying they got rid of basically everyone that was had any high profile player on the team um the Rangers management sends out quote unquote the letter. The fan base knows it. You know, on February eighth, I have the date in my head still. Where they basically warned the fan base, yeah, we're getting rid of all your favorite players. You know, we went on our run before. Now we need to rebuild. And then days later, you know, you get traded to a team. What I guess not only for you but for that locker room when you walk in that locker room, uh, is it just known like, hey, this is a rebuild year or? Like, do the players under like realize that understand? But do they like kind of know like, hey, we're we're kind of playing out the playing out the string here. I so to be honest with you, I I remember uh, talking to Kevin Hayes uh, the summer after because he worked out in Foxborough as well, and him kind of recapping it. I, I believe when they when they played in the Winter Classic, they were in first or second place in the division, and they were right in it. Um, and then through January and early February, the wheels kind of fell off. Um, yeah. So the shifting of gears had very quick. Um, when I did the first move, so it wasn't very happened. It was more like looming, um, and then like. Yeah, you were one of the first deals that was made yeah. that year. Yeah, so so Holden was gone. They gave the, they gave the warning out. They gave the warning out. Yeah, the yeah. Hey guys, it's, it's, I'm here for the uh, the rebuild. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But uh, no, I remember like walking into the practice room my first day. Like, there's Rick Nash. There's McDonough doing rehab. Like um, JT Miller is like a, a, a leader on the ice. Like he is a, a centerpiece of this team. Like I and just kind of feeling this way and feeling my way through things. And um, I played my first game in Montreal. And I believe we came home before we went on the plane out to Vancouver. And on the plane to Vancouver, I believe it was like right in the middle of the trade deadline, which is kind of outrageous. But on the plane is when McDonough and Miller got traded. Um, yeah, that was the whole, the whole thing why they bore yeah. the with them. And guys are like crying on the plane. Like, like you know, these are their best buddies. And I really don't know anyone. I'm sitting there in the back of the plane. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> just trying to, you know, watch a show and, and, and mind my own business until we get there. But it, it was just, um, it was crazy. It, it was crazy to kind of witness that firsthand and, um, and how different, even from when I got there to after the deadline, the team looked, um, it was, it was just kind of, uh, uh just a lot. I wouldn't say shocking cause I knew it was going on, but, um, it was just kind of wild to uh, to see it happen. Well, from a fan standpoint, the year let's see the sub the, the draft before the season, they traded Derek Stepan, and you kind of I don't know. I guess you know the team was getting older, and you kind of knew it, but you thought with Hank still there, they'd still you know give it a run. And from a Rangers stand Rangers fan standpoint, you know this from growing up as an Islanders fan, the Rangers never really no. rebuilt. You know, they just kind of were crappy for a bunch of years. They overspent on free agents that were 45 <laughs> years old. And they were just bad teams with no prospects. So, you know, all of a sudden we, we trade step on, you know, we get Tony D'Angelo back who, um, you know, I guess you play with Tony, but, you know, right now he's a little bit of a doghouse, but he's a very yep. good player. At the time he was a, you know, a, a very young prospect that was a top prospect, but had some, you know, attitude. That's like four teams and um, a couple of uh, entry level deals. Kind of, yeah. Kind of crazy. He was my roommate before he got yeah, hurt that he, year. Uh, so I, uh, oh, so I had really? a lot of Tony D. <laughs> well, all right. So hold on. before we go on, what is Tony D like off the ice? Cause he just seems like such, I mean, I, we know his, he's a character. <laughs> You know, but what is he like behind closed doors? So I have a lot of Italian family members, and he would fit right in. Um, and uh, <laughs> very outspoken, but he, he's a good, like, loyal guy. The guy, you know, he could talk ear off, but um, but he, he was, you know, I I was on his team. He was my teammate, and you know, he might get pissed at the coaches, but he was, you know, he's in the same boat as us, and um, he's a funny guy. And, but if, if you disagree with him or, you know, he's got his personal views, um, he can, he can go off. And, um, I like, for example, I, I remember we were laying there in bed, uh, in our room in Florida, I believe we were going to play Tampa the next night and he was sitting in his bed and I'm on Twitter and I'm scrolling through Twitter and I see him arguing with Boomer Esiason about like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what they're arguing about. I think Boomer might have said something bad about him. But on Twitter, this long thread that I'm going back and forth. And I turned to him and was like, are you like, is this real? Is this 
<laughs> he's like, yeah, like I like what's this guy? What's his deal? Um, and that's you know the the non expletive filled version of that. But um, Tony's a character, but he, he's a good guy, and um, he his talents like I could see like he was really good, and I think he needed I don't know a, a, a place or at least a, you know the ability to kind of feel his way through his game and playing his game. Um, and I know right now he's, he found his way in the doghouse pretty quick, but like the last couple of years, he's shown that when, when he is on and when he is playing his game, he is really effective. Yeah. I mean, when he's in the lineup, the Rangers are obviously a much better team. Um, I guess from a player standpoint, in the locker room, you know, all this, the media, New York media, which you've known by now by playing there can, blow things up pretty dramatically, yeah. but, um, you know, he's got, you know, the Trump tweets and all that kind of crazy stuff. Does that impact the locker room or is that just more for the media to kind of play up and, you know, I, cause you, you see, he got, you know, he got sad for doing a stupid, you know, he took a two minute minor, or a double yep. minor, but do you think that the off the ice stuff plays into that? Uh, no, and you mentioned the locker room. I really don't think, in my experience, I, and I've like I've worked out with guys, I've played with guys who are more outspoken than others, especially on social media. And um, aside from like a jab here and there, and and if those guys can't take like a you know a, a little chirp, and uh, then you know uh, I don't know what they're doing it for. Um, uh, usually they can, but. Um, in my experience, it really doesn't affect like the locker room. No one, no one talks about politics or, or any of that stuff in the room. Um, it's just not, you know, no one's really interested in, in that. And I guess what, what you do in your free time is your free time. And unless it's, and I guess the media could be a distraction, especially if people are coming in and asking guys about, Hey, like what, why did Tony say this on Twitter? You know? Um, but in my experience, I, I've never, been asked a question like that and that's the only time i could see it being a, a distraction and um i don't know i, I know uh, for a young team like they're still a young team uh, actually they're definitely a young team yeah they're young, young yeah um and like and tony whether he likes it knows it or not like he, he's a leader on that team he's a he's, he's got to be a, a veteran presence especially on the back end and um when when you kind of lose your cool like that, I think it puts the staff in a position where they gotta say, "Hey, this isn't this can't fly," um, and I think that's what they're doing. I don't think it has much to do with the off ice stuff. I, I I know Tony had some issues earlier on in his career, but um, it's not nothing like that. He's an outspoken guy, and um, but I think he understands when when he crosses the line and. Um, Hopefully, you know, he, he takes this, he bounces back because, like you said, they, they need him. And he makes that decor, and he makes yeah. the decor a lot better. Um, so while you were the Rangers, one of your first games um, with them was uh, Gene Rattel retirement night at MSG. So what what kind of night is that for, I guess, the on-ice players where they have the, the Ranger royalty uh, in the locker room and on the ice? Just, like, what kind of What kind of night is that? There, to be honest with you, there were a lot of nights <laughs> while I was there. Um, and, uh, like, um, 
I forget the the award of the uh, the fallen firefighter. Um, oh, um, you talk about the uh, extra yeah, firefighter? yeah, I like that. Yes, yeah, like there were a few yeah. times, a few where we I'd be sitting on that on the bench for like a half hour through like a a very cool presentation. But when you're preparing for a game, it, it's very difficult. Um, kind of sitting there, but um, that night. I remember because I was still in um, the hotel. I hadn't been put up in the team apartment yet. And when I was going up for my pregame nap, I was in the elevator with Brian Leach. And I looked over. I was like, holy, like, <laughs> Mr. Leach, how are you? Like, it's incredible. Like, I'm proud. Like, this incredible to meet you. Um, it was, and just, especially the guys that I grew up watching, like that, and and hating, to be honest with you, um, uh, so did you tell me you absolutely period? not <laughs> I probably told him I was a big fan um, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no like th- that was that was special and when you look out when you see the numbers that have been retired you realize like you know this is this is a big deal period but in this organization in this company like this is like this is as big as it gets um, so uh, being a part of some of that was, I mean, and even then, like, I don't think I wrapped my head around it. And especially like the few years since then, uh, the, um, the ups and downs in, in my career, kind of looking back on, on moments like that, it's just very like, you know, it's very cool, very cool to have um, experienced that stuff and, and be able to say I was part of that. So your second year with the Rangers, um, you played the entire year down in Hartford. Um, unfortunately, battled some injuries down there. But you played with two Rangers, or I guess current Rangers that I want to talk about. The first one being Ryan Lindgren. Right now, I, I feel like he's just won over every Rangers fan's heart. <laughs> every game, every game he blocks about eight shots. Um, he's bloody. His blood on his jersey at every game. Um, I literally, I think – all three games this year, he's come out with a busted up face somehow. Um, he's just such a hard nosed guy. So, uh, I, I, what is he like on the ice, on and off the ice? Uh, Lingo's my guy. He he was. Uh, I, I don't want to call him a project, but he he was like, you know, I wanted to try to take him under my wing. I, when I was in Hartford, I, I was the assistant captain, um, and I got so I hurt my back in early February and that's what I basically missed the rest of the year but until then um until Christmas break our team was actually doing well we were in a playoff spot and then they traded our captain and we lost 13 games straight but um (laughs) until then uh, kind of watching yeah yeah so that was the whole thing but um watching him progress just in that year was very cool. And I was in the car with him coming back from practice when he got his first call up. Um, and you know, it was, it was, I mean, a small thing, but well, a small moment now considering things, but it was very cool to see it, you know, the emotions in the moment and, and feeling proud to, of him and kind of, you know, I feel like I now even know, I, I wish, I hope you would say this, that I helped a little bit, but, um, he, he, um, no, he just, he works his butt off. He, he, we, he lived like two floors above me in our apartment. Um, we spent a lot of time together. Um, and 
like you said, he's just hard nosed. He's not afraid of anyone. He's not afraid to do anything out there. Um, and I think that's what sets him apart. Like he's willing to do whatever. He's willing to block anyone's shot. He's willing to fight anyone for better or for worse. Um, and that's, that's fearlessness is certainly what won over the fan base. Right. Um, yeah. And he's effective. He's a good player. He plays with confidence and, and, um, and like I said, I, I, we were very close. And when he got called up like that sort of signaled for me that I was kind of out of the cards. Um, so it's actually kind of a brutal moment for me, but I, in hindsight, like in that moment, um, I was, I was really happy for him. And probably five minutes later when, when I talked to my agent, uh, you know, that changed. But, um, in, in that moment, it was like, you know, uh, it was a tumultuous year for me and the, in between, you know, wanting to get called up, feeling I should and, and then getting hurt. Um, but he was one of those, you know, it was like a bright spot for me looking back, like he was a good friend and, um, I, I love watching him play. Uh, it's, it's, um, I still kind of feel a little sense of pride. It makes me feel like sound old, I guess, but, um, in this, in this industry, I guess I am kind of old. Um, but, uh, it's awesome. It's awesome what he does. And it's, uh, you could, I could have guessed that once he got his opportunity up there, that people are going to like how he played. And then the, the second guy I want to bring up is a little bit different uh, of an arc than and Lindgren's had, but he's still very young as Lieber Hayek. He's had a couple chances with the Rangers and, you know, he's played okay, uh, but it seems like he hasn't taken the next step yet, but he's a, you know, a big time prospect. Um, so what, what do you see in, in Hayek that you think that he can probably stick at the NHL level? Libor, he, I think to play at the NHL level, he's got to always be like a steady Eddie kind of guy. I don't think he's going to wow anyone with like, like Lindgren is going to set himself apart because he'll block any shot. He's tough as nails and he's willing to, you know, go in the dirty areas battle. And, and I'm not saying Libor isn't willing to do that, but he's not going to blow someone up with a big hit. He's not going to fight anyone. He's not going to, you know, score a, a spectacular goal. Um, but he's going to move pucks well. He skates well. He's going to end plays. He's going to he's going to you know create offense. But I he's not going to you know jump out at you with what he does. Um, and that's kind of my what I've seen with him. Um, and it took him a while in Hartford that first year for both those guys um, to kind of settle in and see what kind of players they'd be at that level and as their confidence got higher, they, you could tell that they, you know, became more comfortable and were playing better. And, but I think, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a, a comparable, like uh, it's, it's hard, but, um, Oh, just a guy that you can always depend on. And I don't think, I don't think he, he maybe like a five, six role, like a guy who can kill some penalties and, um, and just always, you know, a guy you don't have to worry about out there. Um, but I think he still has a little time to mature and um, continue to build confidence, especially at the NHL level, um, and kind of, I guess, round out his game in that sense <clears throat> at the highest level. Um, but the the kid is a is a freak. Like he, unbelievable athlete, unbelievable win, very strong. So 
I, I think he can do it. It's just, I don't even know how old he is now, but I think, uh, he, I think he's like 20. Yeah. Like, my God, that's crazy. I think he, he just patience there. Cause he, I think he really can be a guy who can kind of be a, an anchor. Um, I got, like, I, like I said, a guy, you don't have to worry about, um, you know, you put him out there 15, 16, 17 minutes. Um, I think he could build to that, especially if he's still 22, 23 years old. I think he can easily get there. And I talked to another one of your uh, teammates an episode earlier this year, Vince Pedri, and we talked about Gorgiev and how he's basically, you know, how well he's played the NHL level. And he wasn't, he didn't have the best numbers in the AHL. He's almost improved as he went to the NHL. Um, so are you surprised the success he's had at the NHL level? Definitely not surprised. Um, because when he played, when I was with the Rangers at the end of that year, he was lights out. Um, the surprising parts for me were when the next year, like if Hank was playing, you know, he obviously he plays the majority of the games, but if, if Georgie went, you know, a week or two without playing, they'd send him down to Hartford and he would just lay an egg. <laughs> like he just wouldn't play great. Um, and that was the only time I was ever surprised because he's, when I saw him, when I played with him, like I remember a game where he played um, in Edmonton when uh, when I was with the Rangers, and he he was just lights out. He was so good, um, and he basically won us that game. Um, I think he, uh, the, I think the final was three one, and McDavid scored the goal, a shocker. But um, otherwise, he, I, again, like I don't know the, the numbers, but. He was just really good. And there were other times when he'd come in and he was really just solid at that level. And maybe it's like, you know, in his head, NHL level, I got to turn it on and he turns it on. Um, and, and maybe he doesn't do that as much at the AHL level, but, um, no, definitely not surprised at the success he's had because he, he's really good and he works hard at, uh, at what he does. You just said that McDavid's name. Is he one of the, I mean, you know, I don't know how many games you played against him in the Angelo, but who were the toughest guys or who the toughest guy that you faced that you're kind of having an oh wow moment? Like, I talked to some older defensemen that they said, like, you know, you have an oh wow moment when you play a Lemieux or a, you know, or a Gretzky on the ice. Was he an oh wow moment for you? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been, I've, I've played against Crosby, Ovechkin, like Matthews, like, and a lot of actually Barzell is one of those guys that when we played them at the end of um, at the end of that season, he's just he just plays so fast and he's so skilled. Um, but um, in Edmonton, like uh, that was the only time I've ever played against McDavid. But the, the speed that he plays at is just it's it's, it's crazy. Um, and like, uh, they're like Crosby, when we put, and I played against him a couple of times, this, like, he's impossible to take the puck from in the corner. He will protect the puck and he could probably cut back and forth for a minute and a half and no one will touch the puck. Um, and Ovechkin, like I, I played him a couple of times and last year I played him in the preseason when I was with the blues and he ripped one of those one timers and hit me right in the visor. and. Yeah, I, I thought I was going to be dead. I, I'm surprised I'm not dead, but um, 
It, like, it, you know, I was actually just going to ask you, did you ever get in front of a, one of his shots and you took it yeah, off the face? Yeah, yeah. Uh, an inch or two lower, and I don't know what I'd look like, but um, but like the the skill sets are so different for these guys. And um, But McDavid, with the skill that he has playing at the speed that he plays at, it's just it's stupid. Um, and I, I have never seen anything like that. So when you talk about the Rangers, you played in front of Henrik Lundqvist. We've talked about him a couple mm-hmm. times here. What is it like playing in front of Hank, I guess, on and off the ice? I've talked to a couple of goalies that have played with him, and they say how great he is off the ice and how much, you know, how like his work ethic is just on another level. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I, I I've never – I guess uh, there were moments where I, I felt a little like, oh, holy crap, that's Char, you know? And, and But when I got there, it, it was almost like it was just like a glowing orb around him, <laughs> it, like just yeah. larger than life. And, and he's not a big guy either, but just like the the his aura, like the, the, the weight of, of, you know, who he is. Like it's not even just – he's not – just a hockey player. He's a public figure and um, he's done so much off the ice too. Um, and, and he's done it all on the ice. It's, it's really, it was, it was, that was, it was almost a starstruck kind of moment. Um, just meeting him and he was he's a very nice guy. He saw, he's very well spoken. Um, and, uh, like like those guys you talked to said he works his tail off and he loves the game and and honestly that's why people say that he he you know can be very hard for him to play again but if anyone could do it honestly i think if he wants to he he'll find a way to keep playing unless he, he like physically can't um and that like all this stuff around him right now is so shocking and and sad um but thank god that he's doing okay and um but my experience, like <laughs> I mentioned being worried about making Tuca mad. I, I think this is like magnified by like three or four times when I, <laughs> I was playing in front of Hank, um, you know, cause he, he, he's a fiery guy on the ice. Like he's very expressive, very, you know, he wants to win. Like he, I, like in the locker room, like uh, he would do anything he could to get us going, get us, keep us, you know, trying to win and because it was just, and I, and I don't think it was like, I need to get to X milestone or whatever, you know, it was more like, I, I hate to lose. And, um, and you know, uh, basically when you're in his shoes, I, like I can't even imagine, you know, my GM just basically said, we're going to try to lose the rest of the games this year. Um, and you know, what, what does that make you think? Like I, I, I I felt guys, you know, trying to go for these for some individual stats, and um, and I don't blame them because you know you're trying to get paid, you're trying it's a business, and uh, but I never got that vibe from him, like he just wanted to win, and um, uh, it was cool, and he was he was very nice, he's very personable guy, like um, when we got to Vancouver, we had our, our rookie party, and like this is. I didn't know anyone basically. And I sit down and I'm surrounded by the few rookies that I've like Gilmore, Pionk. Um, and we're sitting there in this restaurant and, 
and who sits down next to me, but Henrik Lundqvist. I was like, my God, like, what do you, why are you sitting next to me? <laughs> and, but he was, uh, he's just so easy to talk to. And we were talking about his, his daughters and, and where he grew up and his brother. And, um, you know, it's a conversation that was, uh, I never thought I'd have. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he just getting to know him a little bit and him being or seeming genuinely interested in getting to know me. It was, um, it was cool. It was special. And it was like my third or fourth day there. So, it made it a little less nerve wracking to play in front of him, but um, he's just a competitor and, uh, and that never changed uh, in any situation. I'm sure it didn't change even as, uh, and this might be a harsh way to put it, but he was kind of phased out of New York. Uh, and, but I, don't, I doubt that ever changed. So um, I hope he can come back and play because um, I, I don't want to see him go out like this. I don't think anyone does. So, no, no Ranger fan wants to either. Even even if it was playing for the Capitals, you'd still want to see. Him yeah, play. yeah. So also while you're talking there, you had you know the New York media also talks up you know needing a captain for the team, um, and the two guys that are constantly thrown around are Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad. Um, what I guess what characteristics did you see in both those guys that would lead you to think yeah they would make good captains? Oh man, uh, I mean, both of those guys. Um, oh. I guess I'll, I'll go one at a time. Uh, so Cryd's, um, we, he has the same agent as me. Um, and he was, um, a guy that was very easy to, to talk to and get to know. And, um, uh, when I got there and, and feel like, you know, I had a buddy in him was nice. Um, he is a freak. He is, there's no one stronger. There's no one, probably faster uh, sometimes the direction finder might be a little off but um but he is there's no like no one works harder no one is built like him um and he's very well spoken he's a smart guy um he, his passion is through the roof uh, like all these things are, are good leadership traits and even if you know i don't think he's a big rah-rah guy and i don't think mika is either but um a lead by example kind of guy. And those guys are so valuable. And, um, and, you know, obviously he's been a ranger for a long time. Uh, he's going to be there for a long time. Um, he, he's a special guy. And, um, I don't know, uh, like <laughs> he's, he's a little bit of a, a weird bird in that, you know, he's, he's interested in, in a lot of different things that, you know, maybe guys aren't generally interested in, but he, he, he's just a good, he's a good person. And I don't know, like when I think of cried, like I, I think like my second, my first training camp with the Rangers. So after that year, I basically went to camp and, you know, I, I picked him as the guy, you know, if I'm going to battle someone, I want it to be him. And I want to show that, you know, even if he, if he kicks my butt 75% of the time, like I'm willing to go against him. I'm willing to battle. And, um, Obviously, it didn't turn out great, but um, it, it was. Uh, but in that, like he he never he never let up. Everything is a hundred percent, and that's and that's uh, that's special, and that's something you don't find in 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 everyone. And why he would be good for that. Um, and then you look at Mika, and it's a different kind of 
player, right? Like he's, he's unbelievably skilled. Um, but he's also like very well spoken. Um, he's very well rounded. He, um, I mean, his, his efforts like through the roof, like he, he's very, um, he's an easy guy to talk to. Um, I like those two names. And then I try to think of the rest of the lineup and the rest of the crew. And, um, they really do both stand out for me and guys that I, I played with. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I could see it. I could see both being very good captains. Um, this probably sounds a little like a diplomatic answer, but I, I, those two guys really stood out for me, especially in a weird time. Like, um, the real leaders or the real, like the guys that were still seeming to give it for the team in that time really stood out for me because I, I like it, it, it was just so hard. I can imagine for guys who were a month before I got there, like in first place, second place and in it. And then all of a sudden kind of the carpets pulled out from under you and you don't even know what your future is with the team. Um, but those guys kind of weathered the storm and um, kept working and put themselves in a good spot. And um, either of them deserve it. And it's, you know, uh, I guess that's not even, <laughs> I didn't even pick one, but I, I think uh, wherever they go with, if they go with one of those guys, it's a good choice. And then also while you're there, you play with Matt Zagarello, who, um, you know, Ranger fans, he's another guy who I think every Ranger fan was upset when he left and, um, you know, I don't think anyone can say that he he didn't put everything out there. So you see a guy like that at five seven and just his compete level on the ice. What does he like to practice against? Oh, just like how he plays, uh, probably. I, I don't know if I ever. I think I played against him once, but um, he's a. Uh, you would never know he's that size because he he would never. Uh, he doesn't play like it. He's not afraid to go in the corner. He's not afraid of the dirty areas and. Um, and you don't get as far as he has um, by avoiding that stuff. Um, and it's just impressive. And, and obviously, you know, when you become a quote unquote Rangers legend like that, well, like, like he will be a fan favorite for, you know, uh, I think when he retires, people will think of him as a Ranger. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. that takes a lot. <laughs> That's not an easy thing to do. Um, but um Again, he was another guy that was that was a lot of fun to be around in, in a crummy situation from his point of view, probably. And um, and he never stopped. He never quit. And like I said, with those other two guys, it, it that's something that you know it stands out when you know you could see some guys kind of cashing it in and just saying, no, like let's get to April and get the hell out of here." Um, it was never like that with Zuka and um, probably why he was, <laughs> he was a, a beloved member of the, uh, you know, the Ranger crew from probably the, the 2010s. Right. It's uh, yeah. yeah. So following that year at the Rangers, uh, you've signed with St. Louis. Was there a thought of staying with the Rangers organization or, you know, they have a, a lot of defensemen that have now come up and they had a lot of prospects. Was that just not a good spot for you? Yeah, I think, uh, especially so I ended the year with a back surgery. Um, and I, I, and I guess not on bad terms with management, but 
like right after the season ended, the Hartford staff got fired. It was just kind of a mess after <laughs> everything was going pretty well until they traded our captain. I know I mentioned that before. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of the, the beginning of the end. And, and then I, I was playing pretty well uh, for a good chunk of time and, and then to not get a chance, even like when things weren't going great up top either. Um, it just kind of felt like, you know, it was time to move on. Um, but even then, like I, I, I went into the summer on a back surgery and, um, I didn't sign with, uh, with, uh, San Antonio and St. Louis, uh, until God, it was like mid August. Um, so that was tough. And, um, and there weren't many options out there either. So it did land in a great situation. So it was just, uh, it was just a tough kind of ending there. Um, whereas mo- like, honestly, most of the experience in Hartford was, was valuable because I was able to be an assistant captain and, um, especially the first half of the year, I wasn't playing my best hockey, but I, I the team was doing well and I was kind of finding, you know, how, how I could be a leader. And, um, I was only 24 at the time too. So it was, it was just a good experience and, oh, like my wife and I, we enjoyed living in Hartford and, um, we had a good group of people there too. So, oh, it, it just, uh, I, yeah, I guess it just wasn't, uh, mutually, it wasn't, uh, really in the cards for me to come back. And so you go to the blues, you go to NHL camp. How interesting was the NHL camp for you with a team coming off the Stanley Cup win? Yeah, that, that was, uh, uh, that was cool. Uh, I mean, that was special. That was a, um, I guess, kind of being amongst that group that really hadn't changed much either. Like a lot of that Stanley Cup team was intact at that point. Um, and I, honestly, it was a good test for me um, because sure, I had kind of been able to do my thing for the most part of the summer, but I wasn't even clear for contact until right before camp. Um, so it was a real good test to kind of see if I was ready. Um, and, uh, I did well. I had a good camp. I had a good preseason game. Um, but I was on an A deal, so I wasn't really much in the cards with them, obviously. And, um, but management had good things to say. And, um, I went down with San Antonio and it was just, it was kind of a mess for me because they had, they had their six, they had seven guys. And I, I don't know, it just, that's kind of shows how, how little interest there was on a guy with a, uh, a back surgery on his record at the time, um, that, uh, I kind of found myself in a, in a crummy spot, um, until I got traded to Springfield in, uh, early December. And, um, from there, things were, were looking up going pretty well. And then I bust my shoulder up and, uh, season canceled and here we are <laughs> <laughs> well good luck Thank this you. year and uh and hopefully you, know, you stay yeah. healthy and the season you know, season stays healthy yeah you'll actually play um and all the best even if you had to play scran wilkesbury 14 <laughs> times i'm sure uh, i'm sure by game six you guys get really like yeah yeah there'll be uh you know a normal first period a brawl in the second and then the rest of the team can play the third. 
Well, best of luck this year, and hopefully we can catch up during the season this year. Sounds good. Appreciate uh, you having me on. Thank you again to Rob O'Gara for joining us this week. It was a lot of fun sitting down and talking to him, and we wish him all the best this year with Hershey, and hopefully we'll see him up the NHL with the Capitals very soon. And that does it for Episode 7 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Please hit the follow button on Spotify. You can now listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, so please subscribe and leave a review. You can follow me on Twitter for all New York Ranger updates at KHallNY. And also, please follow the Broadway Hat Instagram accounts. We notify when new episodes come out. Thanks for listening. 